Turn in your Bibles to Daniel chapter 2, Daniel chapter 2, and uh, we are going to be studying uh, chapter 2, most of it, uh, or actually the first 30 verses this morning, and hopefully it won't go too long. I don't think it will. Um, God is doing something today, and you might ask, well, how do I know that God is doing something today? Uh, The reason I know that God is doing something today is He's always doing something. Uh, He's always at work. He's always doing something. He's always controlling something. He's always working out His plan. Uh, He's always in the business of saving people. Uh, He's teaching someone. He's using someone. Uh, This is what God does. And as we gather together today, it would be good for us to remember that. As we look at uh, God's Word today, I'm reminded, my friend Zach Lacombe, some of you know him, that guy, uh, he told me that he uh, was watching uh, a message one time and a preacher said that if God is doing one thing, he's doing a million things. And that is true, that he's always at work. I I read this last week um, as I was preparing um, that John Piper, and it's funny because John Piper quoted somebody else that just tweeted something out, which I thought was fascinating because everyone always quotes John Piper. But he was quoting someone else, and he said, the quote was this, that God is always doing 10,000 things in your life, and you may be aware of three of them. And I think that's really the picture for us. I don't know where they came up with 10,000, but it might have been more or less and probably is more. But the the picture there is that God is doing all kinds of things and we see a small sliver of what he is doing. And as we look at the book of Daniel, know this, that uh, it's a mess. It's a mess. God's people are in captivity and uh, you have a king that's... uh, volatile at best, and you know that God is at work in in that situation, and we're going to see that this morning um, as we look at our passage. God working out in the lives of his people that are just like us, uh, with limitations, both gifts and limitations, then we'll see how God provides for his people, even in captivity. Please join with me in prayer as we ask for God's help Uh, as we study his word this morning. God, thank you for this time that we get to look at your word. Uh, It is a privilege. Uh, God, I know that so often we uh, don't think it is. We think of it as a chore or or something to get through, and yet um, that you would care for us at all, that you would communicate with us, that you would love us, that you'd include us in your plan, that you would save our worthless souls, that you would cleanse us of our sins, that you would call us your children. God, what a privilege. And so as we come to your word this morning, we ask that you would work in us, that you would thrill us with your word and encourage us for the battles of today and for the days ahead. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So we're just going to kind of march through this passage. But before we do, I want to tell you that I want to talk to you a little bit about um, Daniel is a book of prophecy, uh, as we will see a little bit in the next few chapters, and then a lot uh, in chapter 7 and onward. Uh, We'll see that Daniel is a book of prophecy. And in uh, this passage that we're looking at today, we're even talking about dreams and visions and I wanted to talk to you just a little bit about that before we got rolling this morning. 
Um, I want to tell you that in the Old Testament, there are 17 or so dreams uh, that are inspired dreams. It's kind of hard for us to imagine uh, because we have crazy dreams. How many of you have crazy dreams? I had some crazy dreams last night. I don't know if it was the food I ate, what I watched before I went to bed, or if it was my wife's fault. I don't know. Uh, Sorry. Hi. Um, Just wanted to keep it real. Uh, But we, it's hard for us to get our head around this idea of inspired dreams, like that God was using dreams. And yet in the Old Testament, uh, there's some, and in the New Testament, there's some as well, uh, where God inspired those dreams in such a way that he recorded uh, at least their outcome for us in the scripture that we would have even here this morning. I want to talk to you about that just a little bit and just give you a few things for you to be mindful of as you think about dreams. First of all, God did use and spoke through these dreams. He did. Um, It might be easy for some of us to to just dismiss it and say, ah, it's nothing. Uh, Even in Nebuchadnezzar, who was a a pagan king, uh, he somehow used his dream in, in the course of his plan. So that's hard for us to imagine. The second thing I would tell you is those who have recorded inspired dreams, all their dreams weren't inspired. All their dreams weren't useful in this way, according to God. Um, And if they were, they'd be recorded for us as part of God's plan. The third thing I want to tell you is that there's a huge change in God speaking to us that happens in the New Testament um, and at the close of, and the two things are this. The first one is just Jesus himself. Uh, Stan, if you'd put that up, uh, the Hebrews passage, if you will. As you think about God speaking to us, in the Old Testament, you have the prophets and how they, Daniel even being one of them, that God spoke to us and and gave us his um, revelation. And then in the New Testament, you have uh, prophets or apostles that those who had seen Jesus and those who recorded both his life and the beginning of the church and that which was to come. In Hebrews 12 verses 1 and 2 it says this, long ago at many times and in many ways God spoke to our fathers by the prophets but in these last days he's spoken to us by his son whom he appointed heir of all things through whom uh, he created the world. Hebrews chapter 1 verses 1 and 2. Um, What I want us to really remember is that God spoke to us in his son. Why is it important for us to study Jesus? Why is it important for us to dwell on the gospels and, and how Jesus both lived and taught and what happened, the events of his life, especially as you come Uh, to his death and his resurrection. Why? Why? Uh, Because that's God speaking to us. He's giving us what we need. Um, I I think that that's important for us to remember that God knows what we need, and so he spoke to us in his son, Jesus. The second thing I want to point out to you is that he has given us his word. He's given us his word. Some ask... uh, if there are prophets, if prophets are real, and I say, yes, they are totally real. They're in his word. Daniel is a prophet. And as you look at this book, you realize that this is what God wants us to know. 
clearly and authoritatively. In Revelation, at the end, you know, at the end of God's revelation to us, Revelation chapter 22, verses 18 and 19, it says this, I warn everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book, if anyone adds to them, God will add to him the plagues described in this book. And if anyone takes away from the words of the book of of this prophecy, God will take away his share in the tree of life and in the holy city, which were described in this book. I think it's important for us to remember that Uh, God has revealed to us what he wants us to know, and it's found in the word of God. Uh, I think that's so important. I I think that often in our day, um, you know, especially among the, in the internet, you know, you're, you're clicking through things and you're looking for things and you're searching for things. And it says prophecy about the election. And you know what you should do then? Keep clicking. (laughs) past that. Keep clicking. Because whatever that is, it's not this. It's not the Word of God. Uh, We won't talk about this today, but we will talk about it in the weeks to come. What happens when someone's wrong about prophecy in the Old Testament? It's very important for you to know that. That we're not, this isn't just a game where we're guessing and we think that God's saying this and we want to share it. It's a very serious thing. As you think about what a prophet is, Daniel was a prophet. Uh, some have struggled and said, well, he's not really a prophet because he wrote narrative. There was just kind of a thing of his life. He's a prophet. Don't, you know, as Jesus reflected on what uh, Daniel said, he quoted Daniel. And so uh, he is a prophet, okay? Uh, as, you, as you think about that, this idea of prophet, Daniel was one. And a prophet is someone who's a proclaimer of God's message. Uh, even as we see today, I think often we, if Daniel would show up here today, and he's not going to, but if he'd show up here today, and we go, oh, there's Daniel the prophet. He's a big deal. And Daniel would say, no, I'm not a big deal. I'm a proclaimer of God's message. Uh, it, I got the message from him and I hand it to his people. There's a few other uh, roles in the scripture. Angel, you know what that is? A messenger, messenger of God. You know, what does an angel do? Whatever he's sent to do, right? There's a uh, God sending him to do something. He's just a messenger. We, you know, we say, don't shoot the messenger, right? We, we realize the messenger is just the, the postal worker, if you will, right? He's putting the mail in the, in the box, and so you have a uh, prophet uh, giving the message, a proclaimer of God's message. You have an angel. In the New Testament, you, you have apostle, apostle, very similar. One sent by God, one sent, He's sent out. Uh, in the New Testament, the apostles also had a unique relationship that they had seen Jesus. They had seen Jesus, and so uh, a little bit different than the prophets of the Old Testament. Daniel was a prophet, and in being a prophet, uh, he was one uh, that God spoke through, both uh, through dreams, visions, um, and prophecy, that he would foretell what God was going to do. I want to encourage you not to follow dreamers, and not to uh, follow people that are claiming something outside of his word, but, but search the scriptures, search the scriptures. 
Uh, I think it's very important for us, especially in our time where uh, we're looking for some truth somewhere, right? Uh, We're searching for what is going on in our world today. I want to tell you, search the scriptures um, because you will see the plan of God um, and we'll be able to discern what's going on in our world. That said, we'll come back to that in the weeks to come, but I wanted to set that up for us this morning. This morning, we're going to uh, go through these 30 verses, and I, I, th- I know that sounds like a lot, but it's, it's all a story that I have to walk through step by step. We're first going to see the king's dream, the king's dream. And so uh, in Daniel chapter 2, you'll see this. It says this, uh, in the second year of the reign of Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar had dreams, his spirit was troubled, and his sleep uh, left him. Uh, then the king commanded that the magicians, enchanters, and sorcerers, and the Chaldeans uh, be summoned to tell uh, the king's dreams, so that they came and they stood before the king. And the king said to them, I had a dream, and my spirit is troubled to know the dream. Very simply, uh, you have uh, a time stamp, and really that means a couple of years later, probably. Uh, in the time where Daniel and his friends were in their training, their three years of training, or at least at the end of that, that's where this time is, just a few years. So probably Daniel and his friends are still teenagers at this time. Uh, So that's important for us to get fixed in our mind, that they were still teenagers. I know that a lot of times when you read the scripture, you think of Daniel as this fully grown, fully trained Um, 30-year-old, 35-year-old, ready to take on the world. But no, he was probably still a teenager at this time. Uh, And this is thrilling as we think about what young men can do, what young people, uh, if they trust the Lord, what they can do. Um, It's thrilling. And so uh, you you see this in this timestamp. And what happened was Nebuchadnezzar had a dream. And it wasn't like any other dream. Uh, and most of us know about having dreams and uh, different, you know, some are pleasant dreams that when you wake up, you're frustrated because you wish it were continuing on, whatever was happening in that dream. And then there are other dreams that were just freaky and you wake up and you go, that was just weird. You know, what was, you know, that spaghetti just got to me or whatever, um, you know, superheroes and stuff like that. And, and then there are dreams that are terrifying, you wake up and you're just terrified. And that's the kind of dream that Nebuchadnezzar had. Uh, he was bothered. He was troubled. He, his soul was in turmoil. And so much so that he couldn't go back to sleep. This wasn't the idea of, oh, you know, I had this bad dream. I woke up. I got my cup of hot chocolate uh, and I drank it and I was good to go. I went back to bed and I slept. Uh, it wasn't that at all. It was something that kept him awake. And as he thought through what to do about this, he knew his answer was call for his smart guys. I say smart guys because that's what his list of people were. Um, It says uh, the idea, his list, and he's going to go back to this list. He says the, the magicians, the enchanters, the sorcerers, and the Chaldeans. Uh, If you remember back a couple of weeks, this idea of Chaldeans was their heritage. Those people who had been trained in uh, history and what uh, their 
their teachings were, the literature of their day. So these people had been educated, but also magicians and sorcerers. And, and what this was, was he, him gathering all his advisors. Um, if it were being our day, it would be the senators, the congressmen, the, the governors, the lawyers. Uh, not that all these people are necessarily smart, but it was the, you know, the best advisors they had. It would be grab all those people, but I'd also say it would be uh, the, the ones who were you know, fortune tellers and just anybody that, that the, the king would have that could somehow help him understand this dream. That's who he called. Uh, and you know he, he called them, and he's a king, so he could do whatever he wanted, right? And so he called them. That was verses 1 through 3. We see in verses 4 through 13, help for the king. And, and what happens, and it's not that complicated, but let, let's walk through it. Um, what we see here in verse 4, um, yeah, verse 4, then, then the Chaldeans uh, said to the king in Aramaic, O king, live forever. Uh, tell your servants the dream, and we will show you the in, uh, interpretation. It sounds pretty simple, right? They come, uh, he refers to this group as the Chaldeans, and they, you know, they were this group, and uh, they come to the king and they say, King, live forever. What a, uh, you know, what a line, right? Uh, we'll see it uh, repeated. What a great thing to say that will help the king and his reign live forever. Um, that's not going to happen, but... It was a nice thing to say. It was a, a pleasant, honoring uh, type response. And he says, tell us the dream and we'll tell you what it means. Uh, as, so that, that, that's how they responded to the king. Um, Nebuchadnezzar, uh, unfortunately, was not being reasonable. And he says this. Uh, they say, tell us a dream and we'll show you the interpretation. Verse 5, the king answered and said to the Chaldeans, the word from me is firm. This, this is what I'm saying. This is what I mean. Uh, if you do not make known to me the dream and its interpretation, you shall be torn limb from limb, and your houses shall be laid in ruins. How's that? You know, hey, so how can I help you, king? Uh, tell me my dream and the interpretation. And if you don't, I'm going to tear you limb from limb. What a picture, right? Yikes. You know, uh, the idea of, you know, uh, uh, we've heard of other kings saying, off with their head. And he was saying, no, not necessarily. We could just, you know, just pull you apart here, right? You know, we'll just pull you apart. And we'll take your houses and we'll turn them to rubble. You know, we'll just wipe them out. That you're going to tell me the dream and you're going to tell me the interpretation or it'll cost you everything. Pretty intense. And these are the ones that are seeking to help the king. These are the ones that he trusted before. These are the ones who had position. He, he says, you know, I'm going to tear you limb from limb if you don't get this. Um, he also adds something else. Uh, and I think this is interesting. He says, uh, Verse 6, he says, But if you show the dream and its interpretation, you shall receive gifts and rewards and great honor. Therefore, show me the dream and its interpretation. I want to point out something. What, what are his two methods? Two methods of leadership. Yeah, that's, 
Can you imagine that? It'd be a good cartoon, but a real life would be a little gory for me. Yeah, threats, threats, the king threatened them, or riches, or incentives, right? Threats or incentives. That's, that's the method of the king, and extreme on both, right? Extreme. That's what Nebuchadnezzar, Ezra's methods. We see the king's help, the one that are going to help the king. Um, they respond to this, and I'm sure it got a little bit more serious than they were hoping for, right? Uh, as they shared this. Verse 7, it says, They answered a second time and said, Let the king tell his servants the dream, and we will show uh, its interpretation. Verse 8, the king answered and said, I know with certainty that you are trying to gain time. You're stalling. Uh, Because you see that the word uh, from me is firm. If you do not make the dream known to me, there is but one sentence for you. You have agreed to speak lying and corrupt words before me uh, till the times change. Therefore, tell me the dream and I shall know. Uh, that you uh, can show me the interpretation. The Chaldeans answered the king and said, There is not a man on earth who can meet the king's demands, for no great and powerful king has asked such a thing uh, of any magician or enchanter or Chaldean. Verse 11, The thing that the king asks is is difficult, and no one can show it uh, to the king except the gods whose dwelling is not with flesh. No one can do it. Their answer, their, so he, he says it once, and they say, oh, just tell us the dream. He says, no, you'll tell me the dream and the interpretation. And they say, nobody can do it. Nobody can do it. it. It's something of the gods. And for them, they were either thinking of the Babylonian gods or gods from neighboring places. They were saying, this isn't anything that a man can do. They were enchanters and sorcerers and smart guys and whatever, but they were going, we can't do it. We can't uh, tell of this dream. In fact, it wasn't just that they couldn't do it. They said, nobody can do it. We see in verse 12, the response uh, to them saying, nobody can do it. Uh, It says, because of this, the king was angry and furious and commanded that all the wise men of Babylon be destroyed. You get that picture? Uh, Take them all. Take them all. Uh, And later verses we're going to look at, he includes Daniel and his friends in that, and he's just basically saying, wipe them all out. If they're not going to help me, get rid of them all. Uh, This is a pretty important dream for him, uh, that he would be willing uh, to get rid of all his trusted people uh, that, that he would be able to um, get rid of them all and replace them with whoever he wanted. As you look at this, you realize that, obviously, that Nebuchadnezzar was a king and he was irrational and he was going to do whatever he wanted to do. We skip down uh, to verse um, 14. Actually, let me read 13 too. So, so the decree went out and the wise men were about to be killed, and they sought Daniel and his companions to kill them. Verse 14, then Daniel replied with prudence and discretion, the, the idea of wisdom and being able to really think it through how he were to answer. And remember, this is a teenage young man. I think that's important. 
that Daniel was not flustered by this, but that God was working in him in such a way that he knew how to answer and knew how to reply. And to Arioch, the captain of the king's guard, who has gone out to kill the wise men of Babylon. He, he declared to Arioch, uh, the king's captain, what is the decree of the, why is the decree of the king so urgent? Then Arioch made the matter known to Daniel, and Daniel went in and requested the king uh, to appoint a, him a time that he might show interpretation to the king. You have death to the smart guys, and then we move on to Daniel's God saves the day. Daniel uh, responded with prudence and, and discretion. He knew what he had to do. And you see this, I, I get this picture that Arioch was probably uh, a man, a 34-year-old. He was captain. He was someone above. And as he looked at this teenage young man, he spoke... Uh, to him with discretion. He knew what to say and he knew how to handle the situation. God blessed him with this. And he asked for an appointment with the king. You know, as you look at this, you go, what was he doing? That, you know, he could have distanced himself and said, yeah, you should kill those guys over there. But he says, no, I want to go before the king and I want to show him the interpretation even before he knew that he could even before he knew the answer of what was going on. So what does Daniel do? Um, it's a very amazing picture that, that you see uh, here what, how Daniel handles this. Verse 17, Then Daniel went to his house and made the matter known to Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, his companions. So you get this picture he had this conversation with the guy who's going to kill everybody. What's going on? He gets the story, and then he goes home, and he tells it uh, to his three companions, his three friends, and he instructs them to do something. Verse uh, 18, And told them to seek mercy from God, the God of heaven, concerning this mystery, so that Daniel and his companions might not be destro- destroyed with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. What a picture. This, the, so I picture, you know, he comes home and there's these older teenage young men uh, in this house. You know, they've been trained and they're in the process of being trained. And, and what do they do? They talk about what's going on. And then they pray for mercy. Pray for mercy from God. They're, they're, they're crying out to God. They, they know the situation. They realize that this is a matter of life and death, not just for them, but for this large group of other men, these advisors as well. And they realize that they're in, you know, they're in over their heads, and so they cry out to their God, the God of heaven. They cry out for mercy. You know, it's just a beautiful picture. Remember, they're in captivity. They're, mom and dad aren't around, right? This isn't about uh, them having an ideal situation and people around them, but they sought the Lord together. And it says this. It doesn't tell us much. Uh, it will tell us much in the uh, verses to come, but it says in verse 19, Then the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a vision 
of the night. Then Daniel blessed the God of heaven. Very simply, uh, God answered their prayers. God gave them, God gave Daniel the, the message. He did what the sorcerers, enchanters, magicians, Chaldeans couldn't do. He got for himself the message, what the dream was and its interpretation. And it says that Daniel blessed the God of heaven. You you see down there, it's kind of a hymn. It was something that was written down in hymn format, if you will, verse 20 and verses following. But I just want to briefly look at the contents of that. First he says, Blessed be the name of God forever and ever. He praises the eternal God, and he realizes that those praises are meant to last how long? How long will God be praiseworthy? Forever, forever. It's eternal praise. Uh, he, He realizes that his little spot in time, you know, today, this hour, this moment, that God is worthy to be praised, but that this moment, what's true today, will be true forever. God is deserving of praise. I want to tell you that's true for us here today, right? God's worthy to be praised in our life right now. Whatever's going on, you know, remember whatever he's doing, what is he doing? I don't know. He's doing all kinds of things. He's deserving of our praise. He moves on from that that truth to to say something very pertinent to his situation. He says, uh, blessed be the name of God forever and ever to whom belong wisdom and might. He's the one with wisdom and might. Verse 21, he changes times and seasons. He removes kings and sets up kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. He reveals deep and hidden things. He knows what is in the darkness and the light dwells with him. You look at that and uh, theologians would say, well, that's talking about God's sovereignty. And sovereignty is a big theme of the book of Daniel. And I want to encourage you, don't say the word sovereignty. Because we really don't know what it means. Say that he's over all. And not just say that he's over all, but be specific. He's over kings. He's over seasons. He's over me. He's over presidents. He's over governors even. Right? He's, he's over the weather. He's over the school. Like, like he's over all. And what uh, Daniel's doing, he's looking at his situation and he's going, he's over that, he's over this, he's over this, he's over captivity. You know, like he's looking at his situation and he realizes the God who's worthy of eternal praise is over all. And we're going to see this over and over again in the book of Daniel, that he is over all. It's okay to say the word sovereignty, but remember this, that it means specifically in your life and in my life and in the world that we live in, that he is over it all. And for us to see it, identify it, acknowledge it is important for us as we struggle through the things of this life. 
he closes this hymn of praise by saying this, to, to you, O God, of my fathers. I think that's so important because remember, he's not with his fathers, right? Uh, he's probably not seeing mom and dad and his grandparents and his aunts and uncles and uh, ripped away from that. He says, to you, O God, the God of my fathers, uh, I give thanks and praise for you have given me wisdom and might and have made known to me what I have, we have asked of you. For you have made known to us the king's matter. He talks specifically. He praises God for the specific answer to their prayers that he would know this dream for this king. <laughs> and he, undoubtedly he said, Save my head or my limbs at least, you know, uh, and the limbs of my friends and the limbs of these other, like this is what this is going to do. God, you have done this. And so I praise you. So Daniel goes before the king, verse 24. Therefore Daniel went to Arioch, uh, whom the king had appointed to destroy uh, the wise men of Babylon. And he went and, and said thus to him, do not destroy the wise men of Babylon, Bring me before the king, and I will show the king this interpretation. I think it's interesting that he says, he starts confidently instructing the captain. He says, don't kill those guys. In fact, take me to the king. Take me to the king. And you think, well, Daniel, you know, be more strategic, right? Back away from the king. Say you're sick today, you know, can't, can't make it, you know. But he says, no, take me to the king. I, I've got it for him. I got, I've got what he has asked for. And so we see this, that uh, Daniel uh, goes before the king. Verse 25. Uh, then Arioch brought in Daniel before the king in haste and said thus to him, I have found among the exiles, the captives, uh, the exiles from Judah, a man who will make known to the king the interpretation. Verse 26, the king declared to Daniel, whose name is Belshazzar, are you able to make known to me the dream that I have had and its interpretation? Daniel answered the king and said, no, no, wait, no, catch that. He starts off with a negative and he says, no. And he says this, no wise men, enchanters, magicians, or astrologers can show to the king the mystery that the king has asked for. No, no one can do it. And then in verse 28, everything changes and God gets the credit. But there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries. And he has made known to King Nebuchadnezzar what will be in the latter days. Your dream and the vision of your head as you lay in bed are these. To you, O king, as you lay in bed, came thoughts of what would be after this. And he who reveals mysteries made known to you what is to be. But as for me, this mystery has been revealed to me, not because of any wisdom that I have more than all, all that are living, but in order that the interpretation may be made known to the king, that you may know the thoughts of your mind. Daniel says something very important. He says exactly what the enchanters and magicians, sorcerers, Chaldeans, what they said. 
No one can do this. No one can do this, king. And you, you can imagine the king's frustration. He goes, uh, he, Ariok says, this guy can do it. And he goes, oh, great, bring him in. And he says, now, l- let me make clear. Tell me what, and he says, he says, no one can tell you. No, and he goes, this one of these guys, you know, off with, off with his limbs too, you know. Um, but he says, no one can tell you. But there is a God in heaven. There is a God in heaven. And that God has given me so that you would know. What a powerful testimony uh, to Nebuchadnezzar, this pagan king. No one can do it. God can do it. God can do it. I want to, um, we're going to pick up this uh, dream and interpretation next week. But I want you to, uh, I want to end our time really with how do we handle problems? How do we handle problems? Now, uh, I had a, a friend, a friend of mine who was a wealthy man, older than me, and he'd read all those, you know, books on challenges and leadership and stuff like that. And every time I would say, well, that's a problem, and he, he would try to correct me, and he'd say, no, it's a challenge. And I'd say, no, it's a problem. Uh, and I, I just want to tell you, whatever you call them, problems, challenges, opportunities, whatever, how do you handle them? How do you handle those things in your life? I want to walk through just briefly our three options. Nebuchadnezzar, the smart guys, and then Daniel, okay? The difference, and and these are probably the three ways that we handle things. First of all, uh, Nebuchadnezzar, who was he? He was the conquering king of the world, right? He'd done amazing things. He was brilliant, and he could accomplish many things. He was scared of his dreams, I picture Nebuchadnezzar as this you know, magnificent bed and like he had all this great stuff and clothing and armor and just beautiful things around him that he wakes up and he's going, Mama, I had a dream. Uh, you know, he was scared inside. This conquering king was f- fearful. Uh, and so what is a conquering king? How does he handle the problems of life? Well, when you're a powerful man, you say, get the military, right? Let's, let's, let's bomb the problem, right? If you're, if you're that type of guy, you say, well, let's throw some money at this. If this is a problem, we'll just fix it through money. We'll get my captives. Maybe I'll fix it through that. Give me my smart guys, and I'll fix this. I'm always the smartest guy in the room. I'm the leader. I can fix this. I'll do Google research, Right? Um, and I just want to tell you that he was still needy and even desperate in the end. He came to the end of himself. He tried his threats and riches and they didn't work. He came to the end of himself. What about the smart guys? Now, now these smart guys, how did they get to their positions? Well, the enchanters, sorcerers, they might have uh, done some tricks and, and known some things in the past and were able to show some kind of power and even, you know, satanic type stuff. And they were, they were doing these sort of things. And that's how they got in their positions. That when you say Chaldeans, remember, that's probably the learned, those who had been through education. And so they had uh, this idea of background and knowledge. But what happened? 
When push came to shove, they couldn't play their tricks or they couldn't think it out or their education didn't help them. Even their satanic uh, powers, they came up empty and they knew it. But what about Daniel? Teenage young man. He was not self-sufficient. He knew it. He knew that he wasn't enough. Now, I, I want to tell you this, I, I want, and I want to be clear, and I don't, I'm not trying to put you down or put us down by saying this. Daniel, if he were here today, he would probably be the smartest man in the room. He, he, was, he, he was taken into captivity because he was of noble heritage and learned and quick in his mind. And like he probably would have been the, the smartest man in the room. And he knew that he wasn't enough for what God had for him. He knew that he couldn't, what Nebuchadnezzar was asking, he knew that he was not enough. And so he, he did two things. He did two things. And, I, and it's really just one thing, but I want to point out two facets of it. If, he's, if he had all the training, which he did, uh, he could have been the valedictorian in his class at Jerusalem High School or uh, maybe it was Babylonian Tech, what they called it. It was one of those fancy charter schools or something like that that he went to. He was smart, but what did he do? He went to his house and he grabbed his brothers and he, he shared with those that were walking with God with him. And what did they do? They prayed. And I, I just want to say that those are two things, right? Prayer and gathering your people, God's people around you. That's how he handled the troubles of his life. That's how he handled the huge problem. Then it was a huge problem. It was a dangerous thing. It was a life or death situation. He prayed, prayed for mercy, prayed for God's help. And he gathered his brothers around him that they would too pray. I think we should do that too. We get in the challenges and problems of life is that we should pray to the God who loves us so much and gather others to help us to pray with us. As we look at this passage, I, I realize this is in the Old Testament. This is before Jesus. Uh, life is a, a little bit different for us. We know Jesus has come. Uh, we uh, have relationship with him. We know about his, his death and his resurrection. We're going to celebrate that in a moment. But we know this, that uh, we can pray in his name all the time and that because of what Jesus did on the cross for us, we have a real relationship with God the Father. That, that because of Christ and his interceding for us, that he is the one that brings us and makes us in right relationship with God so that we can pray, so that we can cry out to him in the midst of the problems of this life. I want to encourage us to do so. Uh, in the next week, we'll talk about the, uh, the interpretation of the, the dream and, the, and its interpretation as we see uh, the continuing story of Daniel unfold. Please join with me in prayer. God, thank you for the uh, message from the book of Daniel today and the testimony of Daniel's life. Uh, God, I love uh, that him being... Um, one of great learning and great opportunity, uh, yet knew that he was not sufficient 
for the difficult place that uh, he was in. And so he cried out to you for mercy. And God, I pray that we see our place before you in that way, that we would always see ourselves as unable, but knowing that we will be enough and we will have enough as we cry out to you. Uh, God, I pray especially for our young men and young women uh, at Bear Valley Church, Lord, that they would have courage like this, that you would grant them this, that you would give them a thirst to follow after you. God, do your work in your church, I pray in Jesus' name, amen.